Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, so much for this day, and I just uh, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done already. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us as we dig into your word this morning, looking at Luke and what, Lord, you have to say for us. I pray that you would guide and direct uh, my words and our thoughts. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 11, verse 37. I'm just going to jump right into it this morning. starts off, and it says, while Jesus was speaking, and so... It doesn't literally mean that they interrupted him, but he was speaking, and it got to the end of the speaking, and, and this Pharisee, so the Pharisee asked him to dine with him, and so he went in and reclined at table. So he's, he's talking, thinking about all the things he's been talking about lately. He's right at the end of this, this teaching time, and this Pharisee says, hey, you want to have dinner? Okay, and they go in, sit down. And I, I have this verse up here, and I thought to myself, ah, oh, the Pharisees. Oh, the Pharisees. Can't you just picture, picture them in your head? Why, why are they always a little heavy, facial hair? I find offense at that. I take that personally. I feel like I'm kind of pharisaical in my look. They're always depicted like that, no matter what you look at them. Why? Why are they always depicted that way? That's, I, that's rude. I, yeah, I need a robe. I need to have... Oh. It makes you look why. I know, but they always look so angry. Look at them. Look at, just look at their eyes. I mean, that's how I always picture them in my head, right? They always just seem, like when I hear Pharisees, I just, and I, I want to break out into song, too. I'm like, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Anybody know this one? I don't want to be a Pharisee, because they're not fair, you see. I just want to be a sheep. There's a whole song. It's great. I don't want to be a Sadducee, because they're so sad, you see. I don't want to be a hypocrite, because they're not hip with it. I don't remember all of them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where I learned that one. Is it? It could be. I have no idea. Um, no, that's not a Matt Harmless original. But I, I was sitting here and I was thinking about there, there's a couple things that we need to do in order to really get the most out of this passage. Uh, to get the most out of it, we've got to do a couple things that just, just right off the bat. Number one, I think we need to eliminate this this picture in our head because... I think that the Pharisees weren't seen this way by the people of Jesus' day. Okay, they weren't seen in this negative light. I mean, there's so much seen in a negative light that you can even look up in a dictionary. Phar- pharisaical is actually a word now. Someone's pharisaical. They're, they're fake. They're hypocrites. They, they put on an outward show, and it's not. I mean, that's how they are seen. That's not how they were seen in Jesus' day. I mean, we don't get the impact of how odd it was that Jesus was so harsh with them all the time, it seems like, when we read through this, the, the New Testament, read through the gospel messages, it just seems like Jesus, every turn, they're there, and he's biting back at them. And so we get this natural negative inclination to look at them. And I think it's justified in one sense, but at the same time, I think we forget how they would have heard that. And so I think it's important to kind of take a step back and really think about this. The Pharisees are mentioned no fewer than 67 times in the four, four gospels. So trying to think about, think through what these people were like, who they were, is an important thing, not just to get a better picture of today's passage, but I think all throughout um, the gospel message, you just see them over and over again, so it's good to think about this. Um, Pharisees were, were actually respected by the common people. Some of us didn't know that. Pharisees um, usually came from the common people. 
quite often, at least in the, the study I've seen. The historian Josephus um, wrote this concerning them in his book of the Jewish War. He says, so great is their influence with the masses that even when they speak against a king or high priest, they immediately gain credence. I mean, they were trusted by the populace. What they said was going to be believed. They were trusted in those ways. It is even said that they stood for things like social justice, which we find so odd when we read about them in the New Testament. It seems like the exact opposite was the case. But in many ways, they were very much for the people. I wanted to call them this in my notes I put down there. They're almost like influencers, right? They're influencing society and culture in a lot of different ways. In many ways, they would have actually agreed with Jesus, especially in this last thing that Jesus had just said when he said, what an evil generation. I think the Pharisees would have been very much like, you're right, this is an evil generation. So what's happening right here? I just want you to think about it this way. Imagine today, like if somebody got up and was like, this generation is going down the tubes, right? God is about to strike it down. It's going down the tubes. You like that? Going down the tubes? I got a uh, from that was that was good. I know I said something funny then. Um, this this generation they're all messed up. And so just imagine Jesus goes through all these things and he's saying this. And the, this Pharisee is like, "Can I get you lunch?" <laughs> is what happened, right? I mean, Jesus is boom, 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 and this Pharisee goes, "Let's get lunch. Can I get you lunch today? Let's do this." And they so they go to this Pharisee's house. So while Jesus was speaking, this Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So Jesus does. He says, "Okay," goes to have lunch with him. Verse 38, the Pharisee was astonished. This word is sometimes translated marveled. We've seen it in positive lights. This is more of a negative sense. He's astonished. He's like sitting there like, what? He's astonished to see that Jesus, he, did not first wash before dinner. That word wash there is actually the Greek word baptizo. Baptize his hands is what it literally says. But he didn't wash his hands. Um, this is from the mission. I want to share this with you. It's really, it's really compact. I wanted to get it all in one slide just to feel the, the weight of it. Okay? This is the mission from this time period. The hands are susceptible to uncleanness. And I feel like I need to read it in this kind of voice when I read it. And they are rendered clean up to the wrist. Thus, if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he poured both the first water and the second water beyond the wrist and the water flowed back down to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over the one hand alone and then bethought himself, I've never done that before. Have you ever bethought yourself? Um, and bethought himself and poured the second water over the one hand, his one hand is clean. If he had poured water over the one hand and rubbed it on the other, it becomes unclean. And if he rubbed it on his head or on the wall, it's fine. <laughs> Can you guys keep track of all that? <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Whoa. This, this is clean. This is not. If you do this, it's, you're fine. If you do that, you're like, what in the world? You know, it's, it's weird because the, the, the Pharisees, again, I think they get a bad rap sometimes, but the Pharisees have take, tried to take some things that they saw in Scripture and try to make sure they were doing it to the best of their ability. 
I mean, is, there, is it absolutely without precedent that cleansing or ceremonial washing was done? That was absolutely done. Exodus 30 talks about ceremonially washing before you go and you offer the sacrifice. And I, and I think that in many ways they're like, well, but every meal in some sense is a sacrifice to the Lord. And we want to be ceremonially clean for these things. I think there was that sense in there. I think that this habit of doing this, this tradition of washing the hands in this certain way before the meal, I think was very much an accepted practice with most people. Think of it, if you will, as what, what, what's one thing we do when, this is not a Christian example or a church example, but what, what's one thing you do when the national anthem is played? What's one thing that guys have to do? This or take the hat off, right? Um, you know, stand up, you better do that. And if you saw somebody, like most of us, if we saw somebody not doing that, you'd be like, right? Astonished, shocked. That's exactly what is going on with this Pharisee. He sees there's this tradition that everybody did. This is the way you do it. This shows this. This is important for these reasons. And he's not doing And Jesus doesn't do it. Right? Now, I'm going to give you, I, I, I had a completely different route I was going to take this morning until... Late last night and early this morning, I thought, you know, I I just want to lay out because I think it's important for all of us to take a moment and see not who's like the Pharisees out there, but see what ways might we be susceptible to Phariseeism ourselves, okay? So I went back through this just this morning and I was like, you know, I need, I really need to just like trimmed that so i trimmed out all the excess and i've got six lessons okay six lessons and i'm going to call them i don't want to be a pharisee lessons okay and if you need to sing it in your head when i say it that's fine i don't want to be don't make me do it but they're not fair you see um so the pharisee is astonished so here's the first little lesson. And I I grabbed each of these from things as I was working through the different commentaries when things jumped out at me and I thought, ooh, that's good. So these are all loosely connected in the sense that are all from this text, but each one of these could stand completely on its own. I could have a whole sermon just on each one of these. But I think they're a great little thing to take with you. In fact, I'm going to encourage you with each one of these, if there's one that just strikes you the hardest, take that one with you. Now, that doesn't mean if you go, I'm just going to hear the first one and leave and go to lunch. And that's not how it works. Can't do that. Um, okay, so, so I'm going to get it through all six. Whichever one hits you the hardest. You know what? That's the one I'm going to, Lord, help me to seek to apply. Because I think we're all susceptible to Phariseeism. I think we think in our minds that the only ones that are susceptible to Phariseeism are in some other church where they're all, and, and don't, I don't even, I'm not even going to say it out loud. Some of you had a picture. You have a picture in your head exactly what a modern-day Pharisee looks like, right? Do you have that picture in your head? And I think it's good for us to go, you know what? But what if What if that's not the modern Pharisee? What if it's me? What if the issue, what if I were to sit down with Jesus right now, and I might be shocked at something he did, and him turn around and go, it's you. That's the real issue, right? Okay, so Pharisee, I don't want to be a Pharisee, lesson number one. I was reading through these commentaries, and it hit me on this first one. Being astonished or shocked 
doesn't always show our own holiness. You, you ever get appalled or shocked at what's going on in the world? Some of those things rightly so. Okay? Some of those things rightly so. Some of those things I, I fear that we may be a little bit like this Pharisee and be like, oh, I can't believe. How many things do we get all worked up over that aren't necessarily even something clearly a matter of right or wrong? It's just a preference. I use the example of the national anthem is playing. We're like, oh, what things, and this is where each one of these flow from that, but this is the first starting point. If you sit every once in a while watching TV or just driving down the street, and you go, oh, I just can't believe. That's exactly what the Pharisee did, and that was the stepping stone for Jesus to turn everything back around and focus back in on him. So I thought, man, that's what a great thing. When I'm, when I'm driving around looking at the world and being shocked and astonished at what's going on, I should use that, lesson number one. I don't want to be a Pharisee, lesson number one. Let's use those opportunities as opportunities to start doing some self-examination. Can we do that? So next time you, turn, you see something, let's be honest. I know some of you guys. I, this is not a giant church, but I don't know you. I know all of you. I know. Sometimes you pop the TV on and you see something, you go, kids these days. <laughs> right? When you've... Feel that instead of say, okay, that's an opportunity, Lord. What, what areas might, if I was sitting with you and I made this sound, might you go, you, back at me, okay? So I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee, lesson number one, right? Use those astonishing, shocking moments in life to turn that examination back around, okay? All right, that's lesson number one. Verse 39, and the Lord said to him, so now Jesus, and I think it's good as well to think about the fact Jesus is the guest at, these, at this guy's house, right? The audacity that Jesus has here is like, whoa. Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. The Pharisees were also known not just for their ceremonial hand washing, but their ceremonial cup and dish washing. And they were not going to be of this type. They would not just clean the outside and not clean the inside. That would be ridiculous. In fact, one of the things that they were worried about was the Bible talked in the Old Testament about uncleanness caused by swarming things. And so they were concerned about what they called fly impurity. I am too, a little bit. You know, I, you see those flies. I've seen what else they landed on, and then they landed on my cup. Like, I, I hate that, like, going out to a picnic. See that fly lands on there, and it's like, oh, it just landed there for a second. But I'm thinking, where else has those feet been? <laughs> now I'm going to eat this burger? I don't think so. Right? But they were concerned about it, not from a germ standpoint, but because God had, had said there can be uncleanness from these things. And so they would be concerned, not just the washing of the hands because of ceremonial uncleanness, but also their dish. And they would say, well, wash these things. But Jesus points this out. He turns this all around. He says, you Pharisees, they were upset at him because he didn't do this cleansing of the hands this way. But he turns it back around to this bigger, deeper issue, not just these superficial things, but something deeper was going on with these Pharisees. 
In some way, they were very right in all the things that they were doing, but in other ways, they were completely missing the point. And so Jesus turns back around and says, you, you're, you, you clean the outside of the... How ridiculous would that be? I remember when I used to teach uh, at a Christian school, I actually had left a coffee cup in my desk over summer break one year. And I came back after, not spring break, summer break. I came back and I found that coffee cup. It was in my drawer and it had had at one point coffee down in the bottom of it. And at the point that I found it, it wasn't coffee anymore. I'm pretty sure it was breathing at this point. It had grown over some kind of something and something had grown on top of that something. There was one more thing that had grown on top of that thing. And so I, can, I used to use this when I talked to the kids about this scenario because the outside was still beautiful. It was a beautiful mug. And I said, but the inside is full of, and I would show that to them. And I thought, I should have just planned a little bit ahead for this sermon. I could have set something out. No? My wife says no. How ridiculous would that be to do that? Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Grab a mug full of something disgusting inside and go, I need to use this so I'm going to wash the outside. And it's fine. That's exactly what Jesus... It's ridiculous. And Jesus is saying, that's what you guys are doing with yourselves. You're cleaning up the outward, presentable, your presentation to the world is super clean. But you've done no work, no elbow grease has been done to what's inside the mug. That's what Jesus is telling this Pharisee. There's greed there. There's wickedness there. Now, I almost went into a down, you know, just kind of let's dig into what this greed and wickedness is all about. I think we're going to see that as we study the Pharisees the rest of the way through this book. Some of us know the things that are at work in them. There was, there was things that they would do that were clear robbery of poor people. There were things that they would do. I think one of the ones that always sticks out in my head the most is they, they would find loopholes around to where they could dedicate something to God in order to not have to give it to, in, in the case, some cases, to their elderly parents. And so they would dedicate something to God, and they'd say, this is dedicated to God. That way, and they would continue to use that, even though it was dedicated to God. They would use it for those purposes just so that they wouldn't have to let it go over here. I mean, just, there's clear examples of this. But again, I want to dig into us. Now, before I read the next line, don't forget Jesus is a guest at this Pharisee's house. And he says next, you fools. You fools. A fool in the Old Testament is one who failed to respond well to God's will or his way. Right? And Jesus tells this Pharisee, you're a fool. You guys are fools. And he says this, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? I don't want to be a Pharisee. Lesson number two. You cannot separate yourself into what people see and what they do not see. Now, that seems like an obvious thing, but let that sink in. Don't believe the lie that you can split yourself up and be clean in your presentation, but inwardly wicked. That's what Jesus is saying. 
And that's what our text is saying to us today. If you think in your heart, and most of us, I would say, I would venture to say, I don't think anybody in this room would say, oh, no, no, I think I can. I don't think that's how the lie works. You know how I think this lie works? It's when you show up at church and you put on this presentation. Right? It's all good. And you know in the depths of your being, it's not. You know in the depths of your being, Monday through Friday, there's elements of your life that you know you ought to repent, just turn, completely turn away from. I'm not talking about the things that you are not sure about. There's some things that you absolutely know. I should stop doing this. If that's the case, I think a much better way to avoid being a Pharisee would be to come into a church situation like this and just be honest with people. I'm struggling with. I'm having a hard time with. I'm down about. It, it's, it would be tough to create a community like that, wouldn't it? But isn't that exactly what we're trying to do? We're trying to build that community. God's sort of community is one that's not going to have, where, where nobody in the community says, I'm going to give it a show of okay. And when I'm not really. I think there can be a variety of ways that looks not just sinful areas, but there's discouraging areas where you, where you struggle all through the week with just, just trusting God in the smallest things. You come to church and, and you portray a, no, I'm good. I think it's important to just begin. I think there's other sides of this where we ought to start saying to each other, how you really doing? Right? How you really doing? And for this to really work and for people to begin to... Because our whole world, in some way, shape, or form, believes this lie. That you can put on a presentation of what's, that it's good. And I think churches have traditionally been some of the worst places for this. And can we just say with each other, let's not fall prey to this lie. Let's not fall prey to this lie. If you're not doing well, just say it. If you're struggling with sin, just tell someone I need help. If you don't want help with that sin, just say it. Right? If not, you end up being a Pharisee who thinks the inward and the outward can be two completely separate things. And I can clean up the outside, and it's all good. The next one we have, verse 41, is going to be a bit of a prescription for solving that issue. Okay? Well, what does actually cleaning up the inside look like? This next verse, every commentary that I read talked about the, the debate on what this next verse means. It's actually a very challenging verse to understand because, and I'll go ahead and put it up there so you can see. It, because the, the statement, the, the response doesn't seem to have directly any connection with cleaning. It says, give alms uh, those things that are within, 
give alms, like giving, that cleans. Can you see the dilemma? How is that cleaning? So one of the verse, one of the one of the commentaries, they they worked through it and they said the the word that's translated alms is actually very similar to another Greek word. And so some people thought, well, maybe Luke got the word wrong. I don't think that's the case at all. What I actually find giving alms, well, let's let me let me do this. Let me go back. Giving alms, what giving alms is, is the showing of mercy. Alms was the act of giving money or food to the poor to relieve their destitute condition. Okay, so giving alms is not like giving an offering. Giving alms was had to do with giving to the poor directly. It was an act of great kindness and love for fellow human beings. One of the commentators wrote this. He said, if one gives sacrificial attention to inside things, those things tied to character, caring, and spirituality, then cleanliness will be present and complete. This is where it started to make sense to me. I want you to think about what Jesus is doing at this meal. He's explaining that this Pharisee, these Pharisees are included in this evil generation. That's what he's doing. Remember that evil generation you talked about before? He's turned these tables around, these Pharisees who were like, yes, evil generation. As many of us do in the world today. This generation's just going down the tubes, Well, just, just going down the tubes. Right? Evil generation. And Jesus comes to this guy who's, I think in many ways, probably would have been like, yes. And Jesus says, you too. In one way, we ought to walk away from this and go, then who is there that is righteous? Because if not even the Pharisees are righteous in this evil generation, then who is? And that's where the gospel message starts to really come in, doesn't it? That there's actually not anybody. Now, let, let yourself just dwell on this. There's actually not anybody in this world that's good. If you ever come to this church and you go, well, at least Matt's got his act together. Now, I know that probably doesn't happen with any of you. <laughs> Maybe do it with Paul. Paul's good. No. Paul's like, uh-uh. We'll ask Audria. Does he have his act together? Oh, don't answer now. Don't answer now. But there, there's actually not, there isn't an elite class of righteous people on this planet even now. Right? Nobody. Nobody. Not a soul is righteous. Every single one of us under the, 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 the intense inspection of Christ can walk away and go, well, at least I'm not them. That's one of the big lessons in this, what we're doing right here. That's the big lesson with these Pharisees that Jesus is saying, because he's coming at the, the most righteous of the righteous, and he's saying, you guys are also, you look really presentable on the outside. And so I'm telling you right now, if you ever look at anybody in this church and you go, it seems like they've got it. And I want to, there, there's some ways where we seek to do that as pastors, we seek, seek to set examples. But I can tell you right now that at the end of the day, not a one of us in this room is righteous in and of ourselves apart from the great goodness of Christ. That's it. But what Jesus prescribes here, though, to begin to, what, what does it actually mean then to cleanse the inside? Because I can't do that 
What does it actually mean to do this in a practical way? Jesus says it this way. He says, give from within of all of who you are. That's where it starts. I want to put it this way. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Lesson number three. Sacrifice of who you are, not just of what you do or what you have. Sacrifice of who you are precedes this true cleanliness before God. Everything else flows from that. Think of all the people in the world that do great deeds of giving to the poor, but have not even begun to scratch the surface of giving of themselves. Us, we need to be people that don't hold back. We're going to give of alms of who we are. That's a hard one to process, isn't it? What does that actually look like? What does that mean? I'd love to take some more time to really get into that, but I think the next one begins to to unfold that one. So I think the next lesson flows from this one because I think that's what Jesus does next. There's three woes he's going to say. I'm going to stop at these three. I can't get through the whole thing today. So lesson number three, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Lesson number three, sacrifice of who you are, not just of what you do or what you have. This is what precedes true cleanliness before God. Now, the next one, verse 42. He shifts gears a little bit. He hasn't said this word woe yet, but now he says this word woe. Woe to you. When I read this, I always want to read it as a vindictive woe. Woe to you, right? The word woe, I think, is more of an alas. There's so much sadness in what Jesus is saying next. There's a sorrow. It's, it's an alas. Yeah, I can, you got to enter in and, and just feel Jesus almost with tears in his eyes saying this next statement. Woe to you Pharisees. And this is the thing. And So we've heard this one before. I want you, but just, just really chew on this. This is my favorite one of all of these lessons. He says, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. First off, what is a tithe? Somebody tell me. You guys are all smart church people. What's a tithe? 10%, right? The Pharisees were very meticulous about this, and I think rightly so, down to the point where they had requirements for what they would tithe of, and they tithed of everything, down to, and what does it say here? It gives three things. What's the first one it says? Tithe of what? Mint. Right? Now, I, please, I'm not expecting if somebody has a box of Altoids. I got, let's see, I got 10 Altoids. I better put one in the, the dish. Okay that's, not what, okay, that's not what we're talking about. 10% of everything, though. They would make sure whatever income they had, if they'd harvested this much, if they brought this much in, I'm going to make sure this much goes back into, and it was, for them, it would be to the 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 synagogue be towards the temple for us today i think there's nothing wrong with setting that as that starting point i'd love to have a conversation about tithing the new testament i think guides us to be generous in giving but i think the tithe the 10 percent, is a great way to start the pharisees were meticulous about this notice that jesus is not riled up that they were doing that do you hear that in this is he upset that they were tithing those things no 
What's he upset about? They're doing that, but then they're neglecting these things that are far more important. There's bigger things, grander things, justice in this world, justice before others, rightness, righteousness towards others and with others, and the love of God. These are the two things that he mentions. But don't miss this without neglecting the others. I heard uh, John Piper talks about this passage, and he says it's almost like the ceiling and the floor, right? He says this tithing is kind of like the, the floor, like that's where you start. And then, but the ceiling, this great justice and the love of God. And it got me thinking about that. I thought that it's so interesting that these big grand things and these little things, there is some connection between the two, is there not? Justice and the love of God in many ways requires giving of what we have, does it not? I don't want to be a Pharisee, lesson number four. Focus on the big things without forgetting the small things. Focus on the big things without neglecting the small things. Sometimes it's the small things that make the big things possible. We have a very practical example of that here at this church. We have part of what's given here goes into something called the Benevolent Fund. And then our deacons, if they find that there's somebody in our body that is in need, they have this benevolent fund that they can draw out of, right, in order to try to meet those needs. Where does that money come from? The small things. Where does it go to to try to help with some big things, right? It's the big things that give the small things meaning and purpose. What's the point of all those small things? If you miss the big things, those small things seem meticulous, I think people that focus on the little things and forget the big things end up being purposeless legalists. People that focus on the big things and forget the small things are like powerless loudmouths. Right? And I think we see both extremes at work, not just in the world, but in some of our churches today. Purposeless legalists, making sure, gotta do, gotta do it. No meaning behind it. Let me get some, right? Powerless loudmouths. Love to talk about those big things, but don't put any feet to what they talk about. If you don't want to be a Pharisee, this one might be the one for you. Focus on the big things without forgetting the small things. Right? Focus on the big things. Justice and the love of God. Spend the rest of your week looking those two things up and say, what does that even mean? But in the process, don't forget to do the little things and give, right? Imagine, just I want to think about this for a second. Imagine, imagine what kind of church, if everybody in here just decided, I, I read an interesting statistic this week, 80% of the giving in, in evangelical churches in this nation, and this, this statistic's probably about 20 years old, so I don't know if it's the same. And I, I, don't, I hope it's not the same here. I would have no idea of knowing, actually. 80% of what's done comes from 20% of the people. In mo like across the board in America, I hope that it's not like that here. I don't think it is, but I have no idea of knowing. 80% of what's done is, done, is, is given by 20% of the people, right? They say the other, the, the other 20%, right, 80% by 20% of the people, the other 20% of the giving is done by another 30% of the people. So there's a, a whole bunch of people that aren't doing anything giving-wise in churches across this country. But imagine just 
forget that for a minute. What about our church? What if in this church we all said, we're going to focus on the big things and not forget the little things? Right? What, what sorts of things could we do if we focused on the big things, but we didn't forget the little things in the process? I mean, it's great to have, oh, what we could do here, what we could do here, what we could do here. But sometimes those big things have required a, a year or two of little things happening on a regular basis to build something. Does that make sense? I don't want to be a Pharisee. Lesson number, I lost track, four. Two verses left, two lessons left. Verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees. For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. These last two are real short and sweet. I don't want to be a, lesson, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Lesson number five. There's a real danger of being recognized for superficial reasons alone. There's a real danger that we face in being recognized for superficial reasons alone. In fact, I'm going to put the lesson maybe this way. I should adjust a little bit and say, do everything you can to avoid recognition. I, w- I would just say one of the best things you do, do everything you can to, to avoid this at all costs. Can you? I was going to say something along the lines of seek every way you can when you're doing the things, the, the things that you ought to be doing to do them, if possible, in an anonymous way. Just to avoid, because there's a temptation, there's a very real danger in us falling into this, this habit of the Pharisees. These Pharisees, the, the best seat in the synagogues, they would have the synagogues and the, the most respected of the elders, they would get the front row, right? Now, I think it worked backwards with us. We'd like, the most respected get the back. That's how it works now, right? But the most respected would get the front. In fact, if you were very respected in the synagogue and you were one of the lead elders and had done a lot for the community and a lot for that synagogue, your seat was not just up here. It was actually up here, facing out towards everybody else. And so, the, and they loved that. I mean, they, they strived for that, to be recognized in that way, to hold that position, to be able to get up there. And we, now we hear it and we go, oh my word, but don't we all struggle with that same element? Some of us are like, no, not at all. But I'm telling you, it feels real good when somebody says, you did really good at that. It does, doesn't it? When, when you try to do things, but then somebody, somebody catches you doing it, and they're like, I am so thankful for you. you, you so appreciate I mean, it feels real good. And I'm not saying don't do it. <laughs> do, please say thank you to people, right? If you see them doing something, give them some praise. Give them some recognition. Those are good things. I'm not saying don't do that. But recognize within yourself the temptation to do the things just for that purpose. It always, it's always, it's like this creepy little dude in the back of my head that lo- loves the recognition, right? Like I hate attention, but just every once in a while, there's that creepy little dude where like if I, if I preach this good sermon, this creepy little dude in the back of my head's like, yeah, you did good. <laughs> I bet everybody's gonna love it. He's creepy, isn't he? He's so creepy. We need to get a fight against that. Recognize it within yourself and go, man, I gotta, I, I think musicians, I hear a lot of our musicians talk about that. Like you get up there and you, I mean, it's, it's talent. How do, you, how do they do it? I don't know. I tr- I've tried. I've tried to learn how to play the guitar for probably 20 years. I can only play that song that Kermit the Frog plays. <laughs> what is that song? Uh, 
rainbow connection. That's what it is. That's the extent of my playing ability. I'm not going to do it in church, okay? I think that I've heard some of our musicians talk about that. They're like, there's, a, there's that desire to not have that. Like if they could, they could have some way of being able to, to serve the church in that way but not get that recognition at all because they want it to be all about Jesus. I think it's a great thing that they work and they strive for that. There's so many difficult things. When I get up here and preach, it's difficult to not have, and I think that we see this at work in so many of the churches in this country that start to grow and start to get big, and I don't want to bash any big churches, but I think it's a very real and present danger that there's so many pastors that get into that when they start preaching the word and people start to, yes, and they want it, and that's good, but then something happens. Creepy dude. Right? This ties back to all the things we've talked about already. The fact that you can't ultimately separate yourself into the outward presentable and the inward. It's gonna come out. How many pastoral leaders have we seen just in the last 10 years that were making such an impact in their teaching and what they were saying and what they were doing And I I think in many real ways, having a real and true impact in people's lives. And then you find out. I think much more we ought to strive for that well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. So much more. If we can keep our eyes set on that. and but, But the only way we get that is when the it's not just out here. The last one for today. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. People walk on them without knowing, walk over them without knowing it. Here's the thing about an unmarked grave. For a Jew to touch a grave made you unclean for a whole week. So an unmarked grave was a serious issue. Because what I could walk across it and not even realize that I've touched a grave, that I'm, I'm unclean, ceremonially unclean before God, and I didn't even know it. Jesus says, you Pharisees, this is what you're like. Here's what he means. In the end, these Pharisees, who I believe very much thought they were pointing people to life, were in reality leading people to death. We see this in so many of the other times where Jesus addresses the Pharisees where he says, you're, 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 you're like sons of hell and you're making those that come after you even more sons of hell than you are. There's a very real danger as well, our final, I don't want to be a Pharisee lesson. There's a very real danger of actually leading people away from Christ when we don't address these things. Now, I'm not going to get into the next part. We're going to say that for next week. One of my favorite things that happens is in verse 45, and so I just want to give you a teaser for next week. Because at this meal, there was more than just Pharisees there. There were also scribes and lawyers. In verse 45, I don't have it up there on the slide for you, but verse 45, one of the lawyers, one of the scribes answers and says, and I just love it. I can't say it without saying it in a certain voice. He says, what? Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Can you just hear him? 
I, I feel like as he was going through this, Jesus is laying these things out. I think that this lawyer was like, those things are hitting home a little bit. And it was kind of like, wait a minute. <laughs> when you say that stuff, you're insulting us too. I hope that if you have that response, and we'll look at what he has to say to them next week. But if you have that response, it ought not to be just a, wait a minute, but recognize that the very Spirit of God might be saying, hey, there's some things that need to be worked on here. Right? There may be some things that you need to work on here this week. Now, I'm going to praise the Lord as we close this time that ultimately, my righteousness before God what if our righteousness before God was dependent on you getting this right? What if your righteousness before God was dependent on you making sure that there's not one secret little thing that's still left deep and buried? What if your righteousness before God was dependent on that? What if your righteousness before God was dependent on you, before you die, making sure that you've done all the spiritual growing that you need to do? Right? Is that what our righteousness is? Is what I'm talking about today, is that what our righteousness before God is dependent on? I want to hear a resounding no. No. What is our righteousness before God? Is, am I, is there anything I'm talking about today? Is any of this about being righteous before God? Not ultimately. How does that happen? Christ alone. This one who's talking to these Pharisees, will also, before the end of his story, offer, even to them, righteousness. And their sin on himself, on the cross. And the same thing is true for all of us. When you go through the week and you, you go, oh, I need to work on this or this, I've been, I've been kind of living a little bit of a double, I, I got some things I've been trying to present and I'm, I got this thing and we, we never let any of those things, when we talk about work on this or strive for that or do this thing or cleanse this thing or give of this or any of these things that you do, don't ever let those things venture over into thinking, now I'm more righteous before God. No, that is all Christ's work, is it not? And we can walk out of here, even if, even if every single one of those things is like, man, I messed up on that one too. Even if, even if every single one of those, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> that insults us too. You know, I mean, even if, even if every single one of them, it was like that, you could still walk out of here today by faith in Jesus Christ and say, if I died right now, I'd still go to heaven. Righteous before God with the, all the righteousness of Christ and my righteousness is standing at the right hand of the Father right now. That's my righteousness is him. And so when I go, when I'm out here, I just, all I'm doing is trying my best to portray him to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the good news of the gospel, Lord, that we can today by faith in all that you are and all that you've done, Lord. You are the only one that was truly perfectly clean on the outside and the end. None of us has achieved
that righteousness. Lord, none of us has even achieved the righteousness of the Pharisees. Lord, they still come up short. Lord, I pray that in faith, Lord, as we trust in you for our own righteousness, as we trust in you for those things, Lord, I pray that you would begin to do the work. Lord, I know that even as I laid these things out today, hey, we need to do this, we need to do this. Ultimately, Lord, I know that it's a work that you need to do in us by the power of your spirit. You need to cleanse us. Lord, you need to cause us to be giving of ourselves. Lord, you need to break down that wall between our outer presentable and our inner, Lord, what's, what needs to be changed and and shown to the light. Lord, I know that those are all things that you do. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would do those things in us this week. And I pray that as a community, as a group, Lord, we would be ready and willing to be honest with each other. And Lord, we wouldn't feel the need to put on a presentable element of who we are when we come into this group, Lord, that we would know that we can be exactly who we are before each other. Because that's how we are before you. Lord, I pray that you just help us to do that as a group, as a church. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.